Good morning and welcome. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, that's probably a question that many people in our culture ask. Who are you? And as that song beautifully illustrates, you are the one that makes the way. That you are a miracle worker. You touch our lives like nothing else can. No one else can. You transform us. You redeem those moments that even in our own minds may seem unredeemable. But ultimately, Lord, we're reminded that you are a God that does care. That you are a God that does love. That you are our only hope, a firm foundation, the one who sent his son to die for us. And Lord, as we gather together this morning, we just thank you and praise you and honor you this morning for your faithfulness, for your mercy, mercies that are new every morning, and for our ability to gather together, to lift our voices and our hearts to you this morning and to acknowledge your presence among us. And Lord, thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to another week here as we are uh, in the last, se- last message in a series on the prophet Elijah. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've learned a lot in this particular series. Um, I've been really kind of surprised about um, learning about this particular man. Now, let's, can we just, you know, acknowledge that this, this morning? Here's, here's a man um, who is called a prophet. So, you know, if, if you know, can, let's, just, let's just put it out there. If, if you know, um, if I meet somebody on the street that doesn't know me and uh, I'm introduced as a pastor, right away there's all, all this stuff of expectations, right? They expect that I'm a person that is supposed to be pretty decent, you know, supposed to live a particular lifestyle, supposed to have, you know, all of this kind of stuff. So there's all these expectations there. And, and fair enough, you know, we, we, you know uh, there's all kinds of expectations we have on people once we hear what they do or whatever category they belong in. And then we come across the story about this man called Elijah who is a prophet. Now, that's a significant title. That's a really godly title, a divine title to put on a person. And if you've been part of the series, you've watched Elijah not only you know, work this title that, that he has, but he's done incredible things in, you know, under you know, as being the hands and feet of God and God doing miraculous things through this particular man. But what I'm really struck with, and I don't know if you have and if you've been part of this series, the thing that I've been really struck about this person called Elijah, who's categorized as a prophet, and right away, because he's a prophet, we have all these expectations, and he's lived out some of those expectations, But what I didn't expect in the story of Elijah is a time where he utterly doesn't act like a prophet. That he becomes depressed. That he becomes threatened by the queen in Israel at the time. 
And because of that, he runs. And, and because of that, he spirals into a really ugly place. And if you were here last week, we talked about that moment when Elijah probably threw up his hands and said, you know, I, I, I've and wrongly interpreted the season that he was in, that he was doing everything he could. He, it's almost like he forgot the character and nature of God. He'd forgotten everything that God had done through him. And he sort of threw up his hands and said, you know, it just evil just continues to, you know, uh, show its ugly you know, face in, in light of everything that I've, I've done. And it's like, what, what's the use of keep going? And what's the use of trying to do any good? It just doesn't seem to matter anymore. In fact, God doesn't seem to be winning in this battle. There's all these kinds of things that we can experience um, in, in situations where we can just get so down on ourselves that we miss sight of what is really happening around us, what God is really revealing around us. And this is a beautiful uh, you know, kind of ending to the story of Elijah that we're going to look at. And if you remember from last week, the thing that, that we left with as Elijah was spiraling and as Elijah was struggling with you know, uh, the, the, the overwhelming sense of anxiety and depression that, that was taking over his particular situation. God didn't chastise him. God didn't, like, discipline. God didn't say, you know, <laughs> grow up or anything. Like, what, what was really tender about the story of Elijah, and something that I think we have to remember in those moments where we feel like all hope is lost, that there's this silent whispering, this, this, this quiet whispering that God does in the life of Elijah. And not only that, but God takes care physically of Elijah. He feeds him. He makes sure that he gets plenty of sleep and sort of comforts him in that particular. And I, and I think there's times in our own lives where God is there or God has brought somebody into our lives or God is reminding us, us of his care, of his love, of his promises. And sometimes we want much more than God. We're looking for the miracle. We're looking for God to do something. You know, God, I'm struggling right now. God, I'm, I'm having difficulty. God, um, you know, I want you to, to, you know, perform this miracle so I know you're real and I know you're there. And often in those moments, God is just whispering quietly into our lives. And saying, you know what? You just need to pause. You just need to rest. You just need to be still and know that I am God. And that's the beautiful thing about the life of Elijah is that the very first thing that God does is kind of nurture him physically, takes care of him. And then in the message that we're going to see today, we're kind of going to round this out, how God, you know, ultimately takes these steps in Elijah's life and deals with the, the spiral that Elijah has fallen into and sort of guides him back onto the path. And I think it's a real, 
um, encouraging sort of, you know, a process for us when we find ourselves, you know. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use my, my example, um, you know, the example of being a pastor, because there are times where you can feel like nothing's happening, uh, no difference is being made. There's times where, you know, uh, we joke about every, every other month we're writing our resignation letter because it doesn't seem like, you know, anything's really moving in a direction and you kind of get discouraged really easily. And we can be guilty of very much feeling the way Elijah felt, that it's just, what difference is it making? What good is, is coming out of this after all the energy and resources and everything that you, that, you, know, that you put into this? Are any, is anybody really seeing God in a new light? Is anybody really you know, having a life transformation because of what is happening, you know, and, and all those kinds of things. You can really get down on yourself. You can really get down on the entire ministry. You can really get down on the fact, is God even in control? Is God even, uh, you know, powerful enough to manage those things? And again, that's not a healthy place to be in. And that's, that's why Elijah, you know, for me, speaks so powerfully, especially, especially during the time of the pandemic. It's, it seems like, you know, uh, you know, we've we've seen so many people sort of jettison the church thing because, you know, they feel like this. You know, God may be not involved, or God, or something, or this is a, a kind of judgment, or something's happening, or you know, I just can't manage this. All those kinds of things that that call into question the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God, and all of those things. And Elijah was there, and I think it's very encouraging for us to see where he is. But even more encouraging is what God does in light of it all. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna continue the story here. We're looking at uh, you know First Kings nineteen, and we're gonna read verses fifteen to twenty one. And you know, as I said last week, God made sure that Elijah was fed and rested. But we're gonna look at the next steps God does to bring this man sort of back into the fold, okay? So here we are at verse 15. Then the Lord told Elijah, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abimelo, Abimeola, <laughs> to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Haziel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. Now here's... Out of, out of this sort, short section, there are three important things that God does for Elijah. Three, three very important you know, processes that he initiates in the life of Elijah, which I think are really kind of key and, and important. So remember, God has rested him. God has fed him. God has allowed him to kind of recuperate physically. And now he's got him in a kind of position. So God says, go back the way you came. All right, we're going to retrace your steps. We're going to see how you spiraled into this. 
And not only that, but I'm going to give you something to do. And this is the really important part. God gives, assigns Elijah these particular tasks. Go and do. You are a prophet of God. You are my prophet. I want you to go back and do what prophets do. This is the very thing that, that, that you know, you have been, that, that is part of your calling, that you have been commanded to do. We're going to make sure you, you know, do what you are meant to do. And, and, and what, what is important about this particular aspect is that God has now given Elijah, re, you know, has kind of repurposed his life, given him some meaning in his life. Here's some direction. Here's some things that you need to do for me that are vitally important. And it's, it's going to be, go back to what a prophet is, is to be doing. Okay? Here, here's the assignment. You're, you know, you, now you may not be a prophet. You know, I think, I think there's something to be said that after that time of rest, the time of period of, of, of being restored physically, that God wants us to go back to work. God wants it to be productive. God wants us to, to feel like we're doing something that is, is contributing, okay? And remember, Elijah felt like all this work that he had done was really at, to nothing, okay? That it didn't amount to much. And here is God saying, well, I'm going to get you to do something that's going to you know, make significant differences. We're going to change the leadership in Israel. We're going we're to change you know, some things that are happening right now because you thought that, that nothing was going to change because of all of this, and I'm going to show you, and you're going to be an active part of it, that things are going to change. Things are going to turn around. You're going to see that very you know, very clearly. And I, and I think, you know, whatever, whatever God has called you to do, whether you're a teacher, whether you work in healthcare, whether, you know, you are a business person, uh, you know, even, even if you're a person of prayer, there's something about God giving us purpose and meaning in our lives to continue doing what we do and to do it for the glory of God that kind of brings back purpose into our lives. And not only just the purpose in our lives, but gives meaning to our lives. That it's not just all for nothing. That there's actually something that you're doing that's contributing to the kingdom of God that is vitally important. Yet that you become the hands and feet of the, the you know of 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 God's kingdom here on earth. The second thing that God does, which is really interesting, he he, repli- he replaces our lies with truth. Here is Elijah. And we talked last week about all the lies that were swirling in, in Elijah's head. You know, he felt that he was all alone, that, that you know, that, that he was the only prophet. He was the only one doing good work. And meanwhile, even before God says that I've got 7,000 in the kingdom here who have not bowed to Baal, he's forgotten all about, you know, earlier on in, in, in the in this section about the prophet Obadiah who had preserved a hundred prophets himself and other people in the kingdom who, you know, were still faithful to the Lord had forgotten like the victory on Mount Carmel and all of that. But God says, guess what? I, I, I know that there's 7,000 that are still faithful to me in the nation, you know? And I think, I think being reminded that we're not alone in the way that we're feeling, I think is vitally important. Vitally important. And again, as a pastor, you know, I get reminded there, there's times where um, I'm speaking to other people 
in other churches and other you know, situations and circumstances. And I can't believe how many times it's like, I think I'm the only one, or I think we're the only ones that have the struggle, or we're the only ones that are going through you know, the kind of cultural things that, that are kind of inundated us. And, and you know, the way that we're, the, the pandemic has affected the church. You know? And sometimes I can feel, man, this is the struggle we've done, we're doing all alone. But that's so far from the truth. You know, some of you are, are really struggling right now with feeling all alone. And, and you may be alone in the sense that, you know, there, you haven't had a whole lot of relational um, uh, relationships that you can, you know, lean into during this time. But the fact of the matter is you're not going through this alone. There are a lot of people who are going through this right now and likely feeling exactly the same way you are feeling And it's almost a shame that we don't have this open dialogue and this open conversation with, with, with all of us and be able to say, you know what, this has been hard. Can we, just, can we just say out loud that this pandemic's been hard? Can we just acknowledge that? This has not been easy. I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, there's many lessons in this whole pandemic, but I'm not sure I would want to live through another one of these, frankly. Because it's been hard. It's been very, very hard. But God, God reminds Elijah of a very, very important truth that kind of washes away the lies that are going through. He's not alone. There's others just like him. And, you know, sometimes in the church world, we can feel like, you know, evil has taken over, you know, uh, uh, the, the stuff that, that promotes unrighteousness in our culture, the stuff that really doesn't promote biblical living or biblical teaching. And we can feel like the whole world's gone to hell in a handbasket, right? We could just say, you know, everything. But we forget sometimes just how many, just how many people want God to reign supreme. Even in, the, even in the country of Canada, when we hear so much about people walking away from church and walking away from God and, and all of that stuff, and, and the atheist message is the, is the message that gets promoted the most and all of this kind of stuff. But the reality is that just so many people who are people of faith, even in Canada, even in places that statistically uh, try and, and wash away the fact that there's, you know, Belief is sort of going by the wayside. But there's so many people that believe in a, in a, in a good God, that believe that, that, that God wants, us, wants to be active in our lives. And he is actively seeking us out. You know, there's so many lies. You know, I've, I've joked with my class all the, all the time, and it's just a reality of, of being shoulder to shoulder with so many humans over, over the period of ministry. And I've said this many, many times, and I say, I say it in one of my Christian spiritual discipline class as part of one of my lectures. I, I, I say to the whole class, I say, you know, I don't know every one of you individually, but I, could, I, I know two things about you right away. I know that if you say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I can tell you that God's primary will for your life is to become conformed to the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That there's a primary will that God wants for you is to grow more like Jesus. That's that, you know, across the board in this 
you know, big class that will have. I'll say, every one of you, that's the primary will of God for your lives. The second thing that I know is if you're, you're remotely human in any way, shape, or form, that you are living at least with one lie in your life that God is working in your life right now to try to correct. That's, that's the second thing I say all, all the time. And, and, you know, I've never tested the high hypothesis <laughs> in, in terms, but I know, I know, I'm, I'm really confident that if I was to sit down with every one of those students one-on-one and ask them about, you know, what are they struggling with in their life, I know from an objective standpoint, I know I could just say, well, you know the, what the Bible says. You know what God says about a situation like that. You know what God says. You know, you know what Jesus died for. You know, those kinds of things. That's, that's, that's the beautiful thing about, about understanding God's Word. Because it speaks into our lives in really powerful ways. Really powerful ways. Now here's... Here's the third thing that comes out of this passage, because there's some really disturbing parts in this passage about if people escape from Chaziel, you know, they'll be killed. If they escape Jehu, Jehu killed. You know, um, uh, uh, if they escape Jehu, then Elisha will will kill them. What what this says to Elijah is that the evil or you know, the bad that is happening and, and the fact that it continues and it doesn't matter what we do. God is absolutely saying that evil will be dealt with. That it's not going to reign forever. That evil is going to see its day in court. That evil is going to be, you know, taken care of. And God has not, you know, forgotten that. God remembers that. God has not neglected that part of it. You see, the problem with it is, is that you know, what, when we look at this, we forget about the patience of God and the mercy of God in many ways. You know, here is, and if you remember from the beginning of the sermon series, there's like six kings that predated Ahab that were just evil kings. So the nation has suffered under this, this you know, political system that has just pushed people away from God and pushed people away from, you know, worshiping the God that made covenant with the nation of Israel. And, and God's patience has run out. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get frustrated by God's patience, you know, um, because I get frustrated with God's patience with somebody else or some other issue or some other thing that I think God needs to judge right now and take care of. Why prolong it? But the fact of the matter is that God is gracious. God gives people time to, to you know, come to repentance, to come and see. And God will send people like Elijah, the prophet Elijah, to demonstrate in the miraculous way sometimes that God is there, that God still exists, and there's still time to repent. There's still time to turn back. There's still an opportunity to make things right again. But here, the thing that Elijah probably got broken down about in the, in the last week's passage about you know, I can't believe it still, this still continues. That God has clearly said, guess what? The evil is going to be taken care of. There is going to be a reckoning for these people. And I'm going to take care of it. And you're going to be part of bringing those people in, in line politically, uh, you know, spiritually, that are going to make sure that the evil is dealt with. 
Um, and, and by the way, um, it talks in this particular passage about another prophet to go and annoy Elisha, who's going to replace Elijah. And it says, son of Shaphat. Now, Shaphat in Hebrew means to judge or to govern. Okay? So that would have really sent huge signals to Elijah that, you know, the next person that's going to take the mantle that Elisha has is going to be, comes from a lineage of, of, of judge, of, of solid governance, of righteous governance. And that would have been such an encouragement for Elijah to hear that. That would have been just so important because that's, you know, all the things that have sort of been weighing Elijah down and, and, and got him into the very sad place that he arrived at are all the things that God is sort of working through and trying to correct at this particular, particular time. So that's what it means. So let's, let's, let's uh, continue reading and sort of find our place here. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go kiss, go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. Now, what's interesting about this particular passage, just to make a few comments about this particular, Elisha, you know, had to be a person of considerable estate. Like, he's very well off. In, in the nation at that time, to have 12 teams of oxen and to be, you know, with one of the teams and plowing the fields, it tells you right away that the, this, he comes from a family that is quite wealthy, comes from, you know, considerable means. And for Elijah to throw the mantle of his cloak over top of Elisha signals a, a progression of one prophet initiating the prophetic ministry of another prophet. It was the dramatic symbol. You know, I call you to join me in my work as a prophet. You know, we go back to passages like Zechariah and 2 Kings about the mantle of a prophet and the cloak that they wore. In fact, some people believe that, you know, a, a prophet wore a particular coat as a recognition to other people that this person was a prophet of God and has proven himself as a prophet of God. So to just do that to Elisha is huge, huge significance huge significance. Let me just finish the passage and, and we'll close off with some thoughts here. So Elisha returned to his oxen, slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Okay? Now, right away, um, the fact that Elisha you know, slaughters the oxen, sacrifices them, gives it to the townsfolk, is a very significant event. In fact, you know, don't forget, this is a nation that just came out of drought, just came out of, you know, meager times. Elisha is, is blessing the community at this time. This would have really spoke volumes to the many, many people who were probably had been starving for some time. So this is a really gracious act 
that Elisha does. What it also signifies is that Elisha is absolutely clear about what changes are happening in his life. That God has called him, that God has, has, has you know, sort of redirected his you know, life to something totally brand new. It's not lost on Elisha just how he is absolutely removing all remnants of his past by doing what he's done and knowing that the path that he's walking now forward is a totally different path that he, had, he probably had intended for his own life, that God was doing something remarkable now and that he was being called to the prophetic office simply by the, the gesture that Elijah has done to him. So this is a significant life event. If you asked Elisha many, many years, when did your life turn around? When did God make himself real to you? When, you know, when did you know that God was you know, not just real, but, but doing something in your life? Elisha would have, would have you know, absolutely would have said, there was a time I was plowing you know, the field and Elijah came and he just threw his cloak over top of me. That would have been, you know, for Elisha, the turning point in his life. Have you ever asked people about turning points in their life? Have you ever asked people about, when did you know that God was real? When did you know that God had something meaningful and purposeful in your life? When did you know that, that God really did exist or, you know, stuff? And I'll be honest with you, as, as a pastor, those are some of my favorite questions. I've heard some of the, the most amazing stories in people's lives when I've asked the, that question, when, when did God become real to you? When, when did God, you know, spoke to you in a way that you knew he was there, you knew that he cared, you knew, you know, and I've, I've, I've heard so many stories over the years about God ha- how God has manifested himself in the most unusual of ways and in un- unsuspecting ways or in ways that people would have never guessed. I would have never guessed that, that through a situation or a circumstance or a, 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 an experience that I lived through that God used that to speak into my life. And I knew from that moment onward. And almost everybody that I've talked to about have, have all said, I knew from that moment onward that God was real. I knew from that moment onward that God was doing something in my life. Um, you know, I've, I have a number of people uh, in my life who've experienced, you know, really severe car accidents and have kind of seen God in those moments. And they've, they've said, you know, uh, what was really a horrible experience turned out to be really something significant. Or they've said things like, I knew God was real. Or I knew God had a purpose for my life. That's another big part, right? There's, there's this you know, traumatic event that happens or this tragedy or this, this really hurtful experience. And they kind of survived it. And they, they felt the presence of God through it. And at the end, they said, you know, I now am convinced that God has something for my life. And that's why I'm still here. Or that's why God called me into this. Or that's why I, I am doing this. And that's, that's really the case for Elisha in this, particular, in this particular place. Um, what is interesting from the standpoint of Elijah doing this to this next prophet, Elisha, is that God gave Elijah responsibility and a legacy a responsibility, and a legacy. 
For, for Elijah, the, the remainder of his years is pouring his life into this, this assistant. I, it's funny that the text calls it an assistant because it's like I'm, I'm teaching Elisha the, the prophetic office, the mantle of being a prophet, of living what it means to live in faithfulness as being the voice of God to the people, you know, um, and building him... Um, but what he needs in order to continue to bring light and truth to a nation that has been steeped in darkness too long. So it's not like Elijah realizes this is bigger than me in, in doing this because there's two things that God satisfies in this particular end of the story at this particular time that Elijah really needed. Elijah needed two things. I think he needed a friend. He needed somebody that was not just an assistant of his or a servant of his. He needed somebody close by who's experiencing the same kind of things that, that Elijah's going to be experiencing and to live those experiences together and to understand those experiences together and to have that responsibility together. They're peer-to-peer. Like That's going to be a beautiful relationship for Elijah and to encourage him that everything that he's done, everything he's learned up to this point is, is not going to be for nothing. That this is going to continue. The work of God is going to continue. That it's not all, it's all about, you know, moving this forward because God is still active in the nation. And it's not up to Elijah. It's going to be up to others as well. The second thing is Elijah needs hope. Uh, you know, since Elisha would be raised up as a successor to Elijah, um, Elijah knew that his work would continue well after his death. And in fact, Elijah, if you don't know anything about him in the Bible, we're going to find this out later, but this is the last mention in terms of Elijah, is Elijah doesn't never technically die. He is, he is you know, uh, in, in a chariot taken up to heaven. You know, he has this kind of miraculous ascension. He doesn't truly die. That's why in Jewish circles today, you know, you still have this, this understanding that the, the, the prophet Elijah, Elijah is going to come back. In the, in the, in the, if you understand the eschatological timeline, um, Elijah and Moses are two of the prophets that are often predicted as coming back near the end times. But this is something that satisfies Elijah and what he needs. He needs to have somebody that makes him feel like he's not alone, that he has a friend, a cohort, someone who is doing the same work as Elijah, a co-laborer in the work. Sometimes when we get isolated, sometimes when we get alone, sometimes when we feel like we're the only ones doing the work, sometimes, you know, <laughs> having somebody else by our side who's, who's having the same struggles, the same difficulties, the same, but having the same passion and mission to move forward and to make the work happen just makes it so much more productive. And, and it ends up as, a, as an element of hope in people's lives. Okay? So, you know, I find it incredibly comforting in seeing a man like Elijah and the way that God took care of him and the way that God brought him out of his low point in his life. Because in reality, that's the way I live, and I'm sure that's the way many of you live, that you have these peaks, that you have these valleys, 
But in the, you know, for all the, for all the wonder that we experience in a peak time, when, we, when we're in the low time, we question everything that the peak's sort of like we're confirming. And yet when we get into those low periods, if we're not careful, those low periods can determine really our outlook, not just on life, but on our faith and on God, God himself. And God does this beautiful reshaping, you know, realigning Elijah back to what God intended for him in the first place. Some of you are hurting or feel alone. You even feel a, a lack of hope or even that God has any intention of caring for you. You, you may even lack faith at this particular time. But I'm hoping these series of messages have really blessed you and not just resonated with the person of Elijah and everything that he's gone through, but resonated with the care and the comfort that God gives him in the midst of some very difficult times that I think many of us are experiencing. I want to take a moment just to pray for all of you as we close out this series. I hope it's been a blessing to you. But I want to pray for each and every one of you that are listening this morning. Uh, A prayer that I've written out that hopefully um, will speak to you as a kind of summary statement of this entire series. So let's pray together. Dear God, I pray that just like you spoke and ministered to Elijah, that you would indeed minister to us. I ask for those that are overwhelmed with the burdens of this life. I pray that you would give them the courage to be obedient and to take time to rest. I pray that we would not believe all the lies, that in your presence you would expose the lies that we are believing, and you would replace them, God, with your truth. May we take every thought captive that is not consistent with your word, and may we indeed make it obedient to Christ. God, I pray that in our time with you, that you would speak in a still, small voice, and that we would hear you. And Lord, that whatever you say that we would do, we thank you that if we acknowledge that we are not done until you say we are done, that our tasks are tasks to be completed for the glory of your kingdom and the glory of your person and your word. So we're not done yet, Lord. So direct us. Give us something outside of ourselves to do for your glory and for your name's sake. And God, I thank you that you are going to lift us out because you are indeed the lifter of our heads. God, we thank you that joy comes in the morning and may we fully trust in you and find comfort in your presence. Lord, for many of us, the reality is the one thing that is consuming us right now, our greatest fear, our greatest what if, 
But Lord, we know that you are powerful enough to manage those questions in this life. Lord, we know that sometimes we can be guilty of telling people that everything's just going to be okay. But Jesus did say that in this world we were going to have trouble. But he did say, take heart, because he himself said that he has overcome the world. So Lord, in the midst of the what-ifs, the questions, the difficulties, we thank you for the victory that is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged by the life of Elijah because in many ways it mimics the life that we live as we seek to serve you faithfully in the days that we live. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray you'll join us next week as we have a very special presentation with the board of directors, Al Vanderland. So looking forward to next week. God bless you.